and the reason why is two, twofold. Number one, if it's important, I think you're gonna do it every day. And I like the results show to me that it's important enough. I can pull my kids out of bad patterns and into good patterns. So it, it makes no sense to not do it. I can, I can give up a minute and a half, two minutes of my time to make sure my kids are moving as well as possible. So that's number one. Number two, humans are animals and we have this animalistic response. So if I'm going to go ahead with this. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Before going into the episode, I want to thank our sponsors. Started with the DOYSC, the Department of Young Strength Coaches. This group is designed for young strength coaches wanting to go into the field of strength and conditioning, whether that's CSCS prep, GA or internship opportunities, or even live discussions, they are a resource for young coaches to take advantage of. I will put the link to the Discord in the description of this episode. Also, Team Builder. Team Builder is the software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with the elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. T-Bose is full of tools that coaches need, like multiple max training methods, 16-plus reports, evaluation testing, goal-setting, to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with team builders and house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. So please make sure to like, rate, subscribe, even share this podcast with a fellow coach or a fellow in iron. I'm your host, John Mark Raspberry, current strength coach over at Bolivar Central High School. And I have on today, Nick, is it pronounced Cruz or is it Kraus? Kraus. Kraus. Okay, I just want to make sure before anything like that. Um, he's actually Nebraska's uh, NHSSCAs on the advisory board. And he's also the Nebraska State Coach of the Year for the NHSSCA, which is completely awesome, man. Congratulations on that. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on, and thanks for the kind words. Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, let's kind of kick things off here, man. Uh, tell the listeners about, like, yourself, where you come from, uh, how'd you get in strength and conditioning, and uh, what are you doing now? Yeah, so uh... – I'm Nick Krause, obviously, currently the head strength coach at Platteview High School located in Springfield, Nebraska, uh, just south of the Omaha Metro, for those of you that don't know really where that's at, uh, very eastern side of the state of Nebraska. Uh, currently in my fourth year at Platteview, my ninth year overall at the high school setting, uh, I spent five years over in uh, the state of Iowa, small town called Red Oak down in the southwest corner. Got an opportunity over here at Platteview, a good opportunity for me and my wife. And so we currently live in Omaha and I'm doing my thing down at Platteview. Like you said, I'm on the NHSSCA State Advisory Board. I'm also the secretary of the Nebraska Strength Coaches Organization, uh, kind of just our state chapter trying to grow it within the state as well. Awesome, man. So how did that actually get started? Because I was kind of curious about that, about the Nebraska Strength Coach uh, Association. I know that's something separate from the NHSSCA. So how did I even get started? Yeah, so it, the roots of it really was with Rob Brokaw when he was in Nebraska. He kind of started up his own clinic and his really goal, he kind of got the ball rolling right as the NHSSCA was starting to get rolling. So it kind of all tied in together. Um, so his goal was, you know, to really grow it within the state of Nebraska specifically. And so when Rob left to go to Arizona, uh, our state director, Amber, uh, you know, she took over as our state director for the NHSSCA. And we really wanted to kind of keep Rob's clinic going that he had started. And so 
we kind of formed our own organization, specifically focusing on the needs of the high school strength coach in the state of Nebraska, and also trying to connect those small college coaches, uh, even the, the bigger universities, and just trying to kind of get the state of Nebraska very connected because we cover two different time zones. It's about a seven hour drive from the west side to the east, like it's a very big footprint. And there's a lot of diverse needs. So we're really trying to focus on not only the needs of our state as a whole and trying to intertwine, but then just build build the high school strength coach in general. And a lot of people that serve on our state advisory board for the NHSSCA are also the state advisory board there. So it's kind of an intermix. We're blending the needs of the two, um, but we've set it up as a, a nonprofit just to try and really grow the state of Nebraska specifically. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I'm always, you know, saw on Twitter, social media, and everything like that. So I was kind of curious about like what that was and how all that kind of intertwined, especially with the NHSSCA. Um, yep. So let's kind of kick off the episode here. So um, first sec, we're gonna go through like a few segments here. So the first one is uh, tricks and tips. So do you have any tricks or tips that you can give someone out there, any coach out there? This can be in Google Sheets. This can be in um, in the weight room, this can be on the field court, whatever. Um, just tell us a, a tip or a trick that you discovered in your own coaching experience. Yeah, I think I think the biggest trick, and it's going to sound very simplistic, but it's kind of broad. So I don't want to I don't want it to come across as too simplified. But systemize your program, and so what I mean by that is create a structure where you can automatically plug and play different things, no matter what level of kid you're working with, whether it's a first day kid or it's a kid who's getting ready to walk across the stage for graduation. If you can systemize and organize your program in that fashion, then as you grow and develop as a coach, you can identify, hey, I want to take this piece of knowledge I just learned and I already know where it's going to plug in. Where if you don't systematically organize everything across the board, it's going to get really confusing and get really muddy, especially the longer you get into it. I think the other thing that helps with that is it makes it consistent for your kids as they grow and develop within your program. Hey, I already know what's coming. So you can change things actually more rapidly, maybe than other coaches may be able to, but because systematically it's organized in a way they already know what to anticipate. So like we do that through the tier system, um, but we do a ton of different modalities within it, but our kids know, Hey, this day, these are my tiers that I'm hitting and here's the emphasis. Now I can run a triphasic block. I can run an APRE block. I can run a five, three, one block. And then if I want to run like a modified one by 20 or something like that, it all can blend into that same structure because everything's organized from that facet. Awesome, man. And I, uh, organization is such a key skill in the strength and conditioning, right? You, you just can't go into the whiteboard and slap a workout on the board and say, this is what we're doing today. Um, one, because mostly, you know, that's not really a, um, how, how should I say it? A proficient way of doing things, especially in this realm of strength and conditioning, but also you're kind of guessing at the same time. So when you're, you know, playing ahead or doing stuff like this to where you're sensitizing your entire system, no matter if your kids like, you know, little Johnny just, you know, walked into high school the first day, or, you know, like you said, like the senior that's, uh, you know, getting ready to to walk across stage like you know there's no, really no guessing of what you're doing and you, you can put that emphasis in your program as well so i really i really like that um so going into the actual meat and potatoes of the actual episode right the heavy training topic so um we talked about this a little bit kind of been 
back and forth a little bit. Um, really want to dive deep into RPR real quick. So you and I are both RPR certified, and I know a few others that are well as well in um, the Twitterverse, whatever, strength conditioning Twitterverse. Um, so talk to us about what RPR is and how do you implement it in your own program? Yeah, so uh, RPR stands for Reflexive Performance Reset. And basically, it's a system to help uh, organize and get rid of possible compensation patterns or compensations within the systems as your body is moving in order to organize and optimize for it to perform at its optimal level. Um, so basically, uh, I dove into this coming off of COVID. So we were coming off of, you know, shutdowns coming into our summer training and I had some time to get into it a little bit. I got into it with our athletic trainer. We kind of did the online training together because I really want to make sure we were on the same page when that, when that came around. Um, but basically it was, I knew that we were going to have issues coming out of COVID because I knew kids were, I gave them stuff to do and I was tracking it. But I also knew there was stuff going on that I wasn't tracking or that they weren't allowing me to see. So I wanted to make sure like when we came back, I needed to give them the best possible situation and the safest possible situation to train and go from there. So um, as far as implementation goes, I mean, they kind of talk about it in the certification, like you learn it and you do it. Like there's no, it's not like dance around with it, like put it in right away. And then you can adjust as you go. The thing that I really loved about it, not only was it re instant results and it's instant to show your kids that it works and it allows them to feel better and move better. Um, but that systematic piece where it's so easy to implement and show them how it works and they can do it on their own. So like as we're implementing and doing it, kids are instantly feeling better. Now they already know, hey, this doesn't feel right. I can do this to help me feel better because I already know all these wake up drills. So from a, from an incorporation standpoint, like it's the first thing we do every day. Um, when we first did it, we, uh, we were block classes. So uh, coming off of COVID, we were uh, kind of a block class model. So we were nine, 88 minutes every other day. Uh, so I get kids three days a week, one day, and then the, or one week and the next week I'd get them twice where now this year we went back to a traditional period model where I go 44 minutes every day. So on the, during the block setup, we would alternate and we would incorporate it. We do a couple wake up drills, then we do a dynamic movement and kind of blend it together. So we'd hit the wake up drills and then start to use those hip uh, flexion, hip extension, maybe for zone one. And then we'd start to broaden out a little bit and it just plugged right within the dynamic work we were already doing. So we didn't drastically change anything. It was just the organizational piece. Now that we're into a period, we alternate days where we're in the weight room or kind of our movement based days. And so we'll hit all of our wake up drills. Um, I know in the certification, they kind of talked about alternating it in our situation that doesn't work. And we haven't really seen any difference between them. Plus, our kids have been doing it long enough that I don't really need to worry about whether they're fully doing it or not. The ones that really want to do it, they're going to do it. Um, and the ones that don't, then they're going to complain that something doesn't feel right. I run them back through RPR real quick. They feel better. And I was like, okay, maybe we need to focus on this a little bit more as we go. Um, so it's it's the first thing we do. And I've got kids who we do it as a class, but all have kids, they get a jump start on it. They're like, hey, I know I need extra work today. I'm sore from a competition the night before, just woke up and something doesn't feel right. Hey, I'm going to hit it twice through and I'm going to really start to feel better about it. 
Um, so really optimizing the body to perform at its optimal level um, allows us to get the most out of our training through our PR. Yeah, man. And you're talking about like these wake up drills. So where are the wake up drills? Like, I know you can go on, on YouTube and look at it. I mean, like, I understand with like, you know, the movements and the patterns and the spots and all that kind of stuff. But like, what's the essential use of these wake up drills? So it's the essential reasoning behind it is to eliminate any possible compensations that your body may have. So depending on what framework you learned from, I mean, obviously we focus on movement. We focus on joint action. We focus on muscles, everything like that. Um, and this is very neurologically based. So it's focusing on, you know, a lot of people will maybe go from the ground up or proximal to distal, or this is going from the hips out. So they have lens one, two, and three. And lens one is kind of right around that hip joint. Lens two is the bottom of the sternum to kind of the knees. And then lens three is everywhere else. So it goes from the middle out because everything neurologically kind of ties into that hip girdle and everything around the hips. And if that's jacked up, then something's going to compensate the further you go out. So if you can get those glutes and the psoas working like it's supposed to without compensating somewhere, then your quads, your hamstrings would work better. Uh, some stuff up in your shoulder and your neck down into the bottom part of your leg will work as well. So kind of the wake up drills um, as they deem them, they also are called resets. Um, I mean, you don't really need to wake up a muscle it's already woken up but is it working as at its optimal level so we call them wake up drills just because that's how they're deemed and it's just easy to talk about um, so they're different trigger points that you hit to make sure that neurologically the messaging is working it's kind of releasing any compensation so they start off with their belly breast their diaphragmatic breathing that helps kind of pull you into a parasympathetic response so that way your body can kind of relax and then, because a lot of times if your body's tensed up and you're kind of in that huge fight or flight response or stress response, your body's going to start to compensate there. So really calm it down, get stuff to relax. Then you start to work from that lens one, lens two, lens three, or so as glutes, you work at your diaphragm as well, because obviously breathing there with the diaphragm, and then you kind of work your way out from there. Yeah, man, that's kind of an awesome description that you have there. And you know, one went through it, you know, they give you those, I, I guess you call it the lenses, um, kind of areas, you know, you work from that hip um, area and then kind of you work your way out. You know, that's that's a really great description of what that really is for the wake up drills. Now, let's talk about like situational wise. Right. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times I think about this like, you know, before a lift or before you do your speed training, uh, conditioning, whatever. Um, sometimes even before a game, like where do you find, you find the best results for this? Is it just an everyday practice or is it like a, before a really big game? Um, do, where do you find the most benefit out of this? Yeah, I think specifically in my setting and I, I'm kind of speaking high school in general, but I think the more you build it into a routine, the more kids are going to understand that it's important. So personally, I wouldn't want to do it just before, like you said, like a big game. And the reason why is two, twofold. Number one, if it's important, I think you're going to do it every day. And I like the results show to me that it's important enough. I can pull my kids out of bad patterns and into good patterns. So it, it makes no sense to not do it. I can I can give up a minute and a half, two minutes of my time to make sure my kids are moving as well as possible. So that's number one. 
Number two, humans are animals and we have this animalistic response. So if I'm going to go ahead of this big game, so like, for example, our boys basketball team played for a state title last week. If I were to do something completely different going into that state tournament than we did all season, that animalistic instinct's going to take over and the body's not going to know what's going on. So if we train the same throughout and we treat everything just as important as everything else, then we get into this routine and now our body is going to be more apt to be able to respond to the different possible environments that it's in. So we do it on a daily practice there. Now, there are some pieces and we'll pull some different tricks for specific situations like uh, we don't do the calf wake up every day. Um, like we just do zones one and two, and then we get into special situations where we'll do some zone three stuff. Uh, but all like I had a couple of basketball guys who uh, we're, we squat on Mondays and, you know, they're struggling to get that squat depth. And I can see that knees not tracking as far as normal. So in my mind, it's like, OK, is it the foot or is it the calf? So we'll hit the calf wake or the calf reset, wake up, whatever you want to call it real quick. And as soon as they hit that spot, they're already jumping because I know that they're locked up and then they feel a lot better. So using the coaching eye, once you really get into it, you can go and kind of cherry pick specific things. But we focus on the big ones every single day and then just kind of hit the small nuggets as needed. Yeah, man. And do you get the kids sometimes that, you know, they can kind of sense something's off. So they'll run to you like, you know, coached, you know, my whatever is not, you know, turned on or whatever. Do you ever get those situations? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I had a a kid who's a football, basketball, baseball kid, and uh, he was front squatting uh, early basketball season. Like he was fine during football and then just the transition, a lot more lateral movement with basketball and his hip was kind of bothering him. And I saw a shift kind of he was just shifting towards his left um during his front squat and he, he racked the bar and he turned to me he's like that didn't feel right I go what didn't feel right he goes my right hip just felt weird and so I just had him pound on his right hip his glute med uh just kind of get that percussive response next set he was in the basement burying him just like normally he's like okay that feels better and he afterwards he racked the bar and he looked at me and we hadn't done that before and he's like what'd you just do he goes I feel better but I don't know why you just had me punch myself five times so we had to kind of talk about it there but uh, just going back kind of full circle there is if you do all this stuff normally, then you build that trust. So that way, then when it doesn't feel good, then they have that trust to go to you and be like, Hey, something feels off. Do you have the answer for me? And so I think all encompassing, if you get trust with the kids and show them that stuff is important, they're going to be more open to talk about things. And then, uh, hopefully you can give them the right answer. Yeah, man. And like, I think it creates some buy-in as well for your kids because, like, the first time you introduce it, especially the high school boys, they're going to sit there and giggle and laugh and think it's stupid and everything like that. Um, I always did, like, pick out the biggest kid possible and do that uh, kind of arm, try to, you know, push down the arm. I, I, they show it in the uh, actual course, and that instantly, like, freaks every kid out. They're like, how'd you get, you know, this guy that benches 300 squats, four, five, whatever. And you only, you know, bench two, you know, whatever's, uh, you know, that that's crazy. That's magic. That's, that's weird. You know, whatever, but it does create a little bit of buy-in as well. Cause like now you got the attention to them. Now they're paying attention to what you're doing. And that way you can implement some of these things into your program. Definitely. The two, my two go-tos when I'm implementing it are the hamstring test and the rotational test. Um, just cause they're, they're the easiest ones for me to show 
kids to see the difference. So uh, when I first introduce it, I'll get a couple of volunteers and we'll do the rotation test. Um, so, you know, I'll one hand on the front, one hand on the back, and I'll rotate on both sides. Um, and then we'll do the rot the anti-rotation along the back of the spine. And then I'll actually have them do the ab wake up as well, where they karate chop on the leg and then rub on the inside of the thigh. So they'll karate chop while I'm doing the percussive on the back. And then we'll retest it. But like you said, I'll get one of our biggest, strongest, most stable kids. And I'll just be like, whoop, whoop hit that real quick. And then it's, they're like a brick, you know, what house. Um, and then there's some kids who still won't believe me. So then I have them, everyone do the hamstring test. So straight leg reach down. Okay. You can barely touch the grass, hit your hamstring, wake up real quick. Now they're going hands flat on the ground all the way down. And they stand up and look at me like, I don't know what I just did, but that was weird. So I think if you could show them one kind of hook them a little bit, and then if anyone's skeptical, then you run them everyone through just one quick one. And then they're like, okay, like now they may still think you're a little crazy, which is fine. But if you do it every day, like they're going to start to feel better. So not only do they see the results, but then they feel better. And then everything starts to mirror a little bit. Dude, I mean, if you're coaching high school athletics, you got to have a little bit of crazy in you. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, ain't, ain't nothing different, um, exactly. you know, on the day to day basis there, man. I love that little bit about RPR. I think it's really fascinating taking a look outside of like that muscle view and like a neurological kind of view of like, yeah, uh, you know, I can't touch, I can't touch my touch coach. And, you know, you hit your hamstrings a few times and now, you know, it's like, boom, you know, they get folded like a, like a, like a table, man. It's just, it's, it's really cool to uh, kind of look at it and do it yourself. And I've done it to my wife a couple of times. I've done it for a few kids. I mean, like, it's pretty, it's pretty unique. Yeah, it's definitely different. But once you start to show people how they feel better and how they move better, then it's just kind of like, whoa, like it's a big eye opener. Yeah, for sure. And kind of going along with like developing your athletes, let's talk about, and we talked about it before, but like long-term athletic development, getting basically your middle school, junior high program off the ground. So mm -hmm. what are your first steps? going into a program to basically elevate their um, their middle school or junior high program? Yeah. So that's a really great question. I'm going to, I'm kind of got to go into a backstory here a little bit. I'm going to go back to my roots when I was in Iowa and then kind of how it transitioned when I made the move to Nebraska, because that, that all kind of blended at the same time. So when I was in Iowa, I really started to reach into our junior high kids um, during our summer program. So when I took over, it was just summer program nine, incoming nine through 12, we were rolling. And then I started thinking like, why, why can't we get these junior high kids rolling? Like, let's start to get them even more and start to build that long-term athletic development model. Even if it's just during that eight week block in the summer, they're at least introduced these movement patterns. So then when they start to come into that high school or that incoming freshman year, now they understand it a little bit, we can get going a little bit faster. So I was rolling it was either two or three summers when I was in Red Oak uh, where we ran our junior high kids through, and that was incoming seventh and incoming eighth. So I was getting them coming off their sixth grade year up and through. And so, or actually, excuse me, it was coming off the end of their fifth grade year because we, there are junior high at, uh, in Iowa was six, eight. So it was six, seven, and eight all coming through there. Um, then my last year in Iowa, we're uh, in the middle of a construction project. So our seven or our 
uh, seventh and eighth grade was going to come to our high school campus and our sixth grade was going to go to our elementary. And so they were going to kind of eliminate our junior high building as a whole. And so through those discussions, we were talking about, well, can we get a junior high lifting class, whether it's just for eighth graders to start and then maybe we bridge it down into that seventh grade as part of that PE or specials rotation. So that way we can get them in even more and give them more exposure to kind of bridge that out even more. Um, during that time, I had interviewed for my current job up here at Platteview. And uh, one of the things that came up in the interview was, you know, something that you're doing to kind of help expand your program. And I was discussing that. And so I got the job offer at Platteview. And then uh, the next week I came up for a visit and I find out that we now have a junior high class implemented. They hadn't had it before, but they liked it when I discussed it in the interview. And so I got plugged in right away. And so it was kind of for me, it was that same vision and it never missed a beat, but it was transitioning through two places. So I think kind of going back to the original point of the question, I think if you can start it in your summer right away, like that's the easiest time to get it. It gets those kids in, in the summer and start to introduce them at the minimum. Then start to talk to your administration if you're a physical education teacher or if you teach another subject, have a really good relationship with your PE department. See if you can start to build that junior high program somehow within your physical education department to build that model out. And then you really start to hammer those early on. So that way, then you've got at least, if it's only in the summer, you've got a 16-week block where they've been introduced to those fundamentals before they get into high school. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And that's something that I think oftentimes get ignored at, at certain places is because like, you look at the middle school, you're like, well, we're focused on, you know, our varsity hours right now. We're trying to, you know, get them bigger, faster, stronger, whatever. And you oftentimes lack understanding that, you know, your middle school kids, your um, junior high kids, you know, that sixth, seventh, eighth, even freshman year, you know, these are, this is your future program that you have coming up. You know, why would you not invest the time and to actually prepare them and demonstrate some of these fundamental movements that they're going to need, you know, when they're sophomores, juniors, seniors, getting ready to play, you know, Friday Night Lights or out on the mound or the court or whatever. Right. No, and that's the thing. And I mean, if you want to, I kind of looked at it from a curriculum role um, and I was like, well, you know, we introduce basic concepts to kids in junior high before we teach them higher level concepts in their high school classes, such as science, history and math. Why can't we do the same thing with weightlifting? Why can we not introduce this foundational skill that they need to know moving or to start from and then we can build it from there? Otherwise, we're essentially taking a freshman who's at freshman level math, science, history, but maybe they're only at a sixth grade level from a movement literacy standpoint. Like this doesn't make sense. So if we're truly wanting to have equality within our education, we need to start to mirror these a little bit. Like their training age becomes very young as a high school freshman. Yes. And that's really kind of terrifying because you're you're understanding because like they're going through puberty they're going through hormones like things are changing and now you're throwing them all these movement patterns and you're trying to get them bigger faster stronger and they're confused and now you're kind of putting a lot of stress on yourself which you didn't have to do if you just brought up the middle school up to you know kind of, not gonna say up to speed but kind of up to par of you know basic fundamental movements you know, oftentimes we're teaching freshmen and sophomores and even sometimes juniors, seniors, how to hinge correctly. Like if that if they started that at 10 years old, they would not sit here being 18 years old and still 
having to constantly I mean like you're always going to coach like the little nitty gritties of it but mm-hmm. like you know we shouldn't have to teach a senior how to hinge which right. I mean at times yeah I mean it, you know every situation is different and I you know I understand that but like getting a program in the right direction needs to happen at the middle school level and that's that's such an essential part of you know I have like a program at school Right. And building on that proper movement pattern, we're also having to fight any compensatory movements that are happening within their sports. Like kids are playing club, organized sports, travel ball at even a younger age. Well, they're starting to develop these random movement patterns that probably aren't the highest of quality. So they're starting to do that over and over and over again. Well, now if we get don't get them until their freshman year, is it almost too late? Like, do they have so many reps of that poor movement pattern? that it's going to be so hard to undo that we're going to spend more time trying to undo it than we are to build on a fun or on a functional pattern. Man, that that's kind of, a, uh, I guess the, uh, the golden question. I mean, it, you know, is it too late for that freshman that's learned all these bad habits and these, mm-hmm. in, you know, just these incorrect ways of doing things to sit there and hammer them just one after the other and, try to, you know, I guess segment it into the, you know, in parts to where, you know, you're trying so hard to fix this kid and, you know, is it too late? Um, right. You know, even, that's even like when we talk about football, because I'm a football coach, you know, um, we had a kid that his knee buckled in in a stance, done it since he was in, in peewee football and middle school. And now we get to the high school, he gets in a stance and his knee is, literally valgus in and that you know in my mind i'm losing my mind here i'm sitting there like dude like get your knee out and i mean mean, it's probably like something like that to where it's it's just too late you know he's already he's been doing this for you know 10 11 you know nine however many years you know it might be too late but you know we can still try our best here yeah and it's no fault to the kid because the kid wants to play like the, the kid wants to play and uh, kind of stealing a tidbit from Joey G who came and spoke at our clinic. Like he had a slide and it was like, and the slide said, it's all about ball. Like at the end of the day, us as sports performance coaches, we're trying to get them ready for whatever sport or activity they're in. And we need to understand that. But on the flip side of that, like these kids want to play ball and that's why they're doing it at such a young age but we need to make sure that we have an understanding from a movement literacy standpoint that they can go play ball safely while we're trying to teach them how to move efficiently. And so when they're at the young age and if we don't have a chance to get to them, their body's just going to self-organize and figure it out. Like, and that's no fault to them. That's just, they want to play ball and that's what their body's going to allow them to do it. So we need to try and push to get that long-term athletic development model or that block zero model early so we can get them in those proper patterns. So then they can have a, as much success as possible as they get older when they want to go play ball. Right. And kind of a question popped in my mind here. Like, and you've tried to present this to athletic directors and coaches and stuff like that. So how do you like present this in the way that athletic directors are on board, coaches are on board, you have support. How do you present that? Because you know, oftentimes we hear that, you know, 
uh, weightlifting stunts growth or, you know, any of the other myths that are really out there. You know, there's plenty of research nowadays and, you know, you can Google a bunch of stuff and know that, you know, that's not true. So how do you present this into like your athletic department and your AD and coaches to where everyone's on board? Because if not everyone's on board, it's not going to work. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, I'm going to preface it by saying I'm really fortunate with really, really supportive administration. Um, I think first you need to go and you need to have a well laid out thought process and plan as to here's why we need it and here's why it's important. Like there's enough research shown that a well-developed model can help reduce the risk of injury. Now, we can't say it's going to eliminate, but if we can make kids stronger and more robust, we can help minimize the risk of possible injury um, as they go and play their sport. So if we want to pitch it from a, you know, student wellness aspect, like, hey, we're, we want to make our kids healthier and more available to play their sports. Boom. There's bridge number one. Bridge number two, if you want to go into the curriculum route, hey, here's how we can expand upon our curriculum and give our kids more options uh, within their school day. Um, number three, hey, sport coaches and athletic directors, here's an easy thing we can do if you can just sacrifice 20 minutes twice a week to help your kids be more available throughout the season. Like if, if you walk up to your head football coach and say, hey, you give me 40 minutes a week. 40 total minutes a week, and I'm going to try and do my best to make sure that your best players and every kid on your roster is available every Friday night or Monday night when you play JV or whenever it is. Like, I don't think you're going to have a head coach that says, "Now nah, I'm good. Like, a head coach is going to hear, oh, my entire roster should be more available than they already are. Sign me up. Yeah, and I just, you know, it's just the investment part of it. And, you know, it's one thing to invest in your high school guys and girls and their sports and, you know, be caught up in, you know, your big sports like football, baseball, basketball. But, like, hammering in and investing in your younger population, or I guess your, your middle school, your JV population, like, I mean, even if it is 20 minutes twice a week, if it's 40 minutes, you know, total for five days, if you give me that 40 minutes, you know, we can we can do something here. And I, I I just think that that's a reality of things for a lot of high schools and for middle schools. Um, you know, we talk about all the time on Twitter and we talked about all the time, you know, uh, with friends, family, whatever. So we need better uh, system in mind for our middle school kids. And so and I mean, like, yeah, ball is ball and you're, you're going to, you know, Ball is important. It's the most important thing to coaches. But, and we kind of mentioned this too, it's for our job to prepare them for the demands of their sport. Even at a middle school level, like keeping kids safe and reducing that risk of injury so they can play ball for a long, long time. Even after, you know, they're graduated, so that, you know, they have a lifetime of health, not just at the time of their playing their sport. And, you know, we can limit those doctor visits and, you know, save parents and a lot of families and a lot of schools a lot of money for not going to all these doctor visits and x-rays and then physical therapy. And then they come back into your, your system. You're trying to gather everything that they've done the last year or so. You know, it's, it's just a it's a long process, man. 
Yeah. And like to build on that point, if you take all those things in consideration, like you mentioned, hey, you could potentially save families a ton of money if they're more robust and they're less likely to get injured. Now, you can't guarantee that. Like there's no guarantees in this field, but it's a strong argument to make. And if you've been doing it with your high school kids and you can say, hey, here's our track record, like we can bridge this down to the junior high. I don't we know admin talks money like that a lot of times admin gets caught up in numbers. So if you can lay out the numbers argument, it's a lot easier for them to speak your language. Um, kind of going back to build on another point as far as getting overall buy-in maybe to the junior high is get your high, your high school coaches on board. Like if you get your high school coaches on board, then they're going to start trickling down to their feeder programs and you don't have to do any work because then you, then the you know, word of mouth is going to travel and then they're going to be like, Hey, I want this advantage with all my kids. And then it's just going to move its way on down there. But the easiest way is to go through your administration because they're the ones that go blanket wise and that's easier from there. But obviously getting your head coaches on board, if you can do that and build relationships there, then it should trickle its way down. Yeah. And I kind of experienced this firsthand as well, because uh, the town that I lived in while I went to high school, it, we had a middle school program that was proficient. Like we ran the same plays in middle school that we did in high school. And it was just repetition after repetition after repetition. And this was just football, right? So yeah. we didn't get the weight lift until freshman year, which, you know, obviously we're talking about it now, but, um, but like, you know, that sense of repetition and our head football coach, um, when I was there, he would have all the middle school and all the peewee players practice uh, at least in the same facility, the same facility as the varsity guys. So they got to see that like the varsity guys are doing what we're doing or we're doing what the varsity guys are doing. Like we're seeing this process, you know, I want to be that guy. I think it should be almost the same way, but with performance in the weight room, you know, conditioning, uh, speed and agility, all that stuff. Because like, if you see that, you know, a senior is doing this, doing the very basic stuff that, you know, your coach, your strength coach, your head football coach, your head middle school football coach is telling you to do, like, that's buy-in. That's mm -hmm. 100% buy-in. Yeah. So, you know, if you're just doing just very basic things and just taking, like you said, your sport coaches, you know, they're they're the ones that, you know, yeah, they detect uh, playing time or anything like that. But, like, at the same time, like, they hold a lot of influential power with them. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they're the ones that kind of make decisions inside the sport. So getting them on board is key, man. That's such a great point. Yeah. And kind of to build on that, you know, like the head coach does have influence over a lot of stuff. Uh, I think it was this last year or no, it was fall of 21. Our head football coach added a letter, uh, a, another option for kids to letter in football. Um, if they had perfect attendance in our summer uh, training program, automatic letter. Like, yeah, you want buy-in and you want a letter in football, put in the work. Otherwise, you had to play X number of quarters. And obviously, there's a pretty good correlation. If you showed up and you did the work through the school year, through the summer, you're probably going to be on the field anyway. But it was for those kids who show up, do everything the right way, and maybe they're just not that talented. Hey, here's a way that you can still uphold the standard within our program. This is what we expect, and you're going to get rewarded for the work that you put in. That's awesome. I I love that. I'm going to use that someday. I don't know how I'm going to use it someday, but I'm going to use it someday. Um, let's talk about like actual like programming inside of 
a junior high middle school area. So mm-hmm. we're going to start with the speed agility component of it, and then we'll talk about the strength weight room side of it. Yep. So how would you program for speed agility days, drills with a middle school junior high team that's getting ready to get off the ground? Yeah. So uh, very basic and fundamental when you're doing coaching cues and make it as game-based as possible. Like at the end of the day, junior high kids are 11 to maybe 14 years old, but most likely 11 to 13 years old. So let's treat them that way. Like kids want to play games. Kids want to have fun. Us as the professionals, we can see, hey, what's a crossover step? What's an outside punch step? What's acceleration? What's deceleration linearly and laterally? We can all see that. It's our job to set it up in a way to where they enjoy the environment and they come back as many times as possible. Because if you create an environment with junior high kids that they want to come back to, they're going to be sold right away. So for me, introducing stuff like that's more game-based. I'm going to just let them play because I don't get all of them uh, in class anyway. I only get our eighth graders. So those incoming seventh graders and then the seventh graders incoming to eighth grade, I only see them in the summer. I've never seen them before. So I'm going to introduce game type activities to where I can evaluate right away. So then that can give me a broad picture of, hey, do I need to hone in more fundamental stuff? Or is this more of an advanced group? We can maybe skip steps one and two and go right to step three. You know what I'm saying? So it allows you to kind of have that coaching eye and go from there. Um, As far as our summer program, we go two days a week. So I'll go seventh graders Monday, Wednesday, eighth graders Tuesday, Thursday. So we'll go, we have a small space right now. So I actually have three coaches during our junior high sessions. I'll have uh, our two, our other two coaches outside and they'll either do some sprint mechanic drills um, or they'll do some change of direction drills and then they get right into a game play. So they're either doing a change of direction where it's like a uh, Jeremy Boone's rock, paper, scissor, freeze tag type game. We do just general freeze tag. Uh, and then we'll also run fly tents. Like we're, we have a lot of feed the cats principles within our program. So Wednesday, Thursday, our kids run max velo fly tents and they absolutely love it because they get the record rank published and they're as competitive as all get out. So we'll hit our linear mechanics real quick. And then we actually set up two lasers and track lanes right next to each other. And we let kids race each other. All the kids know is that they're racing their best friend. Like they get to pick who they run against and they just, we start them at the same time, even though. It doesn't matter when they start because it's just that fly 10. But if we can make it game-based and something they're going to enjoy, that ramps it up even more. Then you measure stuff and then they see improvement. There's that dopamine hit. Now they want to come back. So from a speed and agility standpoint, game-based and make it fun and measurable for them. Um, Then weight room wise, um, sorry, was that all that you had there? Like, did you want me to go anymore? Keep rolling? Okay. Uh, Then weight room wise, uh, we, we do a modified one by 20. So, uh, we'll kind of build into that one by 20 and then we've got different movement patterns. We'll go squat hinge, horizontal press, vertical press, horizontal pull, vertical pull. Um, and if we can, we'll do some carries or we'll do some type of brace in there, whether that's a pull off a high point, whatever. Um, and so we'll, we'll build them as we go. So we generally go, uh, set to eight week one, 12, 16, and then up to 20. And we're just hammering movement patterns on that time. We use the same weight for that four-week block. And then the last four weeks, we'll stay on 20s, and that's when they can start to progress load. So then those kids that are going into eighth grade, hey, you've got this eight-week block, and now you're rolling straight into your 
junior high class. Now we can pick up right where we left off and keep rolling and stretching that runway. So uh, we really hammer one by 20. The reason I like that is when we get to the school year, it's an alternating schedule, kind of like that block was with the high school kids that I mentioned earlier. So they're on our rotation schedule. So I'll get one class three days a week and then the next day is two days a week and they alternate. So one by 20 really fits in because you get that day off in between. I don't have to change movement patterns. We're just hammering at home and then they just progressively overload it as we go. We're going to squeeze as much juice out of that as we possibly can. Um, and more than likely, when we when we start to see some type of stallment, they've probably already hit a strength standard and we're moving on to the next variation. So we'll go from a, a zombie squat to a landmine squat to a front squat. So we generally rarely see any stalls there because we're changing the variation and it just keeps on rolling from there. Uh, we currently stretch that out kind of going into that freshman summer. Um, this year's eighth graders, I'm going to actually try and stretch it as far into their freshman year as I can. Uh, so we'll actually, my goal is to run it kind of into this time next year. Um, and we're just going to hamper one by 20. Um, I learned a lot of what I did from Tony Stewart and picking his brain at North Scott, Iowa. He's a genius when it comes to one by 20. Um, and so you can manipulate the sets and reps a little bit as you go there. Um, so I'm going to kind of implement that as we go. And then uh, moving into our block one, kind of transitioning from that block zero into block one. Um, I stole a lot of stuff from Mark Hoover, kind of running down into that four sets of five, five sets of five. And that kind of goes right into our block one stuff, which is now going to kind of move into that blended end of freshman and beginning of sophomore year. Kind of a lot to unpack there. So let's talk about the speed and agility part of it, and then we'll get into the weight room side later because I got okay. questions about that. Yep. One is that you talk about having fun inside of your program or keeping it competitive, bringing games in, into your program. That was something I did not realize until probably a year or so into strength conditioning was because I was so focused on like, well, we need to hit flies and velos and you know, everything else in between that I kind of often forgot is like, these are just kids. And I think that's something that a lot of coaches do forget at times is like, these are 14 to 18 year old kids, kids, mm -hmm. not professional athletes, not collegiate athletes that their livelihood is in the college realm. Like these are kids. Like they need to have fun while playing their sport. Yes. There are certain demands that we need to make and we need to, implement into our system and everything like that. But these are kids, especially at the junior high, middle school level. These are like 10, 9, 10, 13 year olds, like kids, not, not grown ass adults. Uh, just I had to throw it out there. Cause that's such a good point. You gotta keep it fun for them, man. Like, and their attention well, spent, go for it. Yeah. I, what I was going to say is you can, you can drill and teach all the stuff you want at that age level. But guess what? They're going to hit a growth spurt and they're going to look like a bunch of baby deer at some point again. So if you can introduce what you want to teach so that way, cognitive wise, like, hey, I know what this cue means. So then once I start to get eight, 10 inches taller than what I am right now, I at least know what to reinforce. But kind of going back, if you make it fun, remember their kids and make it fun. That's going to keep them coming back. Like, because no matter what you do, you can throw whatever at a wall with junior high kids and you're probably going to see growth no matter what, just because if you add it stress to anything, you're going to get an adaptation. So like, yes, 
we can get caught in the weeds as sport performance coaches and strength coaches. We do that all the time. Like we get caught in the weeds programming. It's gotta be laid out perfectly. Guess what? They're kids like have a structure in place. That way, what you're doing is smart and logical, but also remember it's gotta be fun. Like, cause that's what they're going to remember at the end of the day. I kind of have this image in mind and like, I don't know. I don't know if you'll follow along or if anyone else will follow along when I, when I talk about this. What's that animal that puts their head into like the dirt when they get scared or something like that? Oh, is, that o- is it an ostrich or is it what? I don't remember. I can picture it, but I don't remember. What you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think about when like, and I, I'm guilty of this too. So I'm talking about myself. Don't come at me for this. But like, that's why I think about what strength coaches, like if we get so wrapped up in like our heads in the dirt with just programming and, you know, conjugate training and all those other things and, you know, max velos and numbers and programming and data that we oftentimes forget, you know, out in the open is it's fun. Like this sport should be fun. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's why, like I was in the same boat, like, and I feel like every coach who's able to step back and recognize what they've done in the past has been there at some point in time. Like, and if, if you can't recognize that, then maybe we need to look in the mirror a little bit, but like, in all honesty, there's probably every single coach has probably been in that point in time. I'm definitely been there, but I think the biggest mark of a junior high program is at some point in time within a training session, you should be able to step back and hear someone laughing. Like it's, it's not 44 minutes of giggling and have fun. Like, don't get me wrong. Like there's also some stuff like we got to teach and we got to understand and know, but at some point in time, especially with that younger population, someone should be laughing. Like it, it has to be ingrained somewhere. I think it's just like, I mean, going, and I know we said this before, but I mean, it's just, they're kids like, mm-hmm. you know, they're not grown adults. They're not, you know, they're, they're just grown. They're, they're just kids. Like, right. Just put the end. Right. They're just kids. Remember they're kids. Yep. Uh, also, I like the game part of what you're talking about with some of these drills because one, it's that oftentimes that change of direction is, in sport is mostly is uh, it's an open field, right? And you know you can put the preset drills. I mean, there's a time and place for everything, right? Yep. You know, you get from point A to point B, come here, come back. Okay, cool. There's always a time and place for everything, but more most sports are in the open field unchained uh how you want you know presented you know they're not a drill is that oh i get i get from here oh he turned that way i gotta go somewhere else i gotta change on the fly so i mm-hmm. think games like that um you know you want to talk about like tag like yeah kids will be creative any way they want to with tag and they'll run away and they'll you know move and all you know all sorts of different directions so i mean like that's a great like change of direction and just just basic agility for them uh, at a very young age. Right. I mean, because if you really break down the majority of sports, they're either creating distance or closing distance between something, whether it's another person, whether it's an object, whatever it is. So like, what are you doing in tag? You're creating separation and removing separation and you're reacting based on what your eyes and your ears are telling you. Like that's as sport as specific as you can get. And you can actually, flip it if you're looking at it from a sport coach standpoint like you get that kid who looks great in whatever you know game setting maybe pe whatever your tag games that you're doing and then they get on the field and they look like a robot well all you have to do is tell them hey didn't we just do this in training this week like how is that any different than this like if you get that kid that mentally freezes because he's trying to go through so much information on the field 
hey, you can flip it. Like, what were you doing in that tag game where you looked like Superman out there? Like, it's the same concept. Just take the information you have and go. And I think that's oftentimes like some kids just sit there and overthink things in sports. And I think a couple of different reasons for that. One, you know, because they don't want to fail for themselves or they don't want to fail and be punished because they're going to fail. You know, and that's a whole separate issue. And we can probably talk about that on, you know, a, yeah. a totally separate episode. But like, you know, just telling them like, dude, we played tag last week and you did the exact same motion. Like, think about it like tag. And, yep. you know, when we talk about like football, for instance, I love talking about football. Um, you know, you want to go track someone down, but they're over analyzing it. Like, I don't know if they're going to cut or, you know, anything like that. It's like, dude, you did the same motion and tag like three weeks ago. Do the same right. thing. And yep. so that's all. Go for it. No, I was just saying it's simple. It's simple. simple. That's oh, God. And we got to keep it simple for him. Yeah. That's a, that again, totally di- different issue. Yep. Um, so the second part of it, your weight room. So you talking about you progress them from what you said, one by 12 and then one by 15. Yeah. We generally go eight, 12, 16, and then 20. Yep. So we'll start at eight and then progress it up. Now, depending on how often I've seen kids and stuff like that, we may jump right to 12s. Like again, use your coaching eye and your clientele and go from there. But our general base rule is start at eight and then progress up. Cause that's about a four week progression. And then we're into another four weeks. So, like, how do you program that in your your setting here? Do you're like, okay, this is a push, this is a press, this is a hinge, this is a squat, and then, yep. like, how how do you do that for like, do you have them do that two days a week or like, how do you chop that up? Every every day they come in, because like I said, our junior high schedules, no matter where it's at, they have a day off between, so they've automatically got that rest. And my focus. We want kids to get stronger, yes, but I'm more focused on movement literacy at that point. So I want kids to move well before they move strong. As they go through the process, they're naturally going to get stronger. So I want to get as many reps as possible, many as many quality perfect reps as possible. Let me put it that way, okay? So I want to make sure, and then we're going to hit our foundational movement, squat, hinge, push, pull, carry. And then our push and our pull are both, or our pushes are both horizontal and vertical. Our pulls are horizontal and vertical. We're going to pull from the floor as well with the deadlift. So we just find our movement patterns that f- that fit in there, plug it in, and we roll. Like it, it's it's so simple, it's almost too easy. Man, and that's something for them. You got to keep it simple, man. And you know, in if these kids come up to you, it's like, well, I want to put on the big weights. Like, dude, you ain't afraid for the big weight. Like you're nine years old trying to, you're struggling with a 25 pound dumbbell, man. Like let's, let's, let's take it back a little bit, but like, that's such a good foundational for them because, Mm. you know, they're still learning. And like you said, when they grow six inches, eight inches, whatever, you know, their freshman high or freshman sophomore year high school, you know, they had that giant growth spurt. I mean, they're going to look like a, a newborn deer. Yep. And you're going to have to reach teach some of these things again. So you might as well just hammer some motor patterns early on, some movement patterns. So when they hit that growth spurt, when they become, you know, the, the baby deer that's fresh out of the womb, you know, they at least have an idea of what you want and what's there to be accomplished too. Exactly. And then as you, as you keep those movement patterns the same, but you change the variations, it's maybe just one or two different coaching cues. 
So like from a landmine squat to a front squat, hey, we're still in this kind of front rack position, but instead of holding the landmine here, now we're just working on that, that front rack position. The squat setup's the same. So it's smaller teaching bites that kids start to get over time. And I mean, if you start that early on, then there's less headaches and stresses, you know, in their later parts of their athletic development and, and their actual sport, because now they're thinking, oh, this is, I've already learned this before. And yeah. they can refine things rather than be overwhelmed that they're now 6'4 as a 15, 14 year old. They look different than most people around them and they have no idea what they're doing. Exactly. All right, man. So kind of wrapping up the episode here. Um, I love that talk with uh, the long-term athletic development. It is such a cool component of what we do. And I, lo- I love that, man. But let's get into like the last segment here and then uh, we can start wrapping things up. So uh, this is called Conjugate Coach Spotlight. So um, is there someone out there in the industry of strength conditioning that you think is making an impact right now? I got a lot of them right around me. Um, so I got to brag on a few people. Our state director, I mentioned her earlier, Amber Burson, she is absolutely killing it. She's been a state, the state coach of the year and the regional coach of the year. Um, and she was actually the one of the finalists for the national coach of the year, I think, last year. She absolutely is killing it. Um, Trent uh, Clausen down at Conestoga High School here in Nebraska, Brandon Mimic up at Bennington. Uh, Stu Venable, who a lot of people know over at Lincoln. Um, great coaches. There's a couple over in Iowa. I mentioned Tony. Stewart, uh, Jake Lewis, Dallas Center Grimes is absolutely killing it. He was the Iowa coach of the year this year. And then Preston Peterson um, over at Mount Vernon, he came and spoke at our clinic last week. And every time that I hear that guy talk, I learn something new. Um, he is absolutely killing it, um, especially in the high school setting. But he could, he coaches circles around tons of people. He is absolutely killing it. So I know he asked for one, but those are about seven that um, just people every time I connect with, I learn from every single time. The, I, I mean, you always got people that you kind of focus in on and you see, you're like, man, I, I, I'm going to learn something from them. Um, I, I totally understand that, man. And that's, you know, that's such a beauty of this field that you get to learn so much and there's always something to learn as well. So, yep. well, I want to thank you again, Nick, for coming on and, you know, uh, agreeing to be on this podcast and, you know, bringing the heat, as I say, with uh, your the, the RPR talk and, and your long-term athletic development talk, man. That was completely awesome. No, I appreciate you having me on, man. It, it was an honor to be asked, and hopefully hopefully the listeners find some value out of it. And, uh, I mean, if anyone's got any questions, um, as you know, we've connected through social media. Like, don't don't be afraid to shoot me a message. I'm an open book. I've, I've learned a lot from people who are willing to open their doors for me. And so I'm, I'm always willing to kind of return the favor however I can. Absolutely, man. And that is another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Please follow our social media platforms at Conjugate Chat Podcast on Twitter and TikTok. Also follow Nick on his social medias as well. So in the name of strength, stay strong and have a day today. <laughs>